morning, everybody. Uh, pastor's sick today, so uh, called in third or fourth string. I'm not sure which, but it's, it's down there on the list. Uh, um, but we hope to have a good time in God's house today and, and learn from his word. So um, pray for Pastor that he'll get to feeling good again and, and uh, come back to be with us soon. Uh, we're going to look at First Chronicles chapter 21. David numbered the people. And uh, interesting lesson about uh, sin, punishment, and mercy, and how that applies to our lives today. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first seven verses of First Chronicles 21 and 1 through 7. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were a thousand, thousand, and a hundred thousand men that drew sword, and Judah was four hundred thousand, four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And I had that underlined in my Bible. Um, who stood up and kind of started this problem? Do you think? Satan, right. It was Satan that actually started, started the whole thing. Um, what's it mean to provoke? To kind of punch? Yeah, I remember when the kids were little in the car, and you'd be in the back, and one would poke the other one, and I remember distinctly, I think it was Matthew and Rebecca, he, he said, stop poking her, and he would go right up and go, right up and not poke her, but Dad, he's pretending to poke me, and he's getting close, and we'd go, stop poking her. It, so we, there, you, we know it when we see our kids do it, right, that, that they provoke each other and go right up, and then they go, ah. Oh. But you know what? Satan knows you even better than you know yourself. And he said, Satan, like, what can I do to kind of mess Israel up? And this is what it was. He provoked David to do this thing. Um, I'll date myself, you know. Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? Okay, you've just dated yourself. Uh, he used to say, what? The devil made me do it. Right, he was a comedian, right, of course. Can the devil make us do things? Kind of. He, he can't really make you do it, but he can sure put that tempting right out in front of you, right? Um, so he can provoke us to do things, but still it's our decision. Um, and how do we protect ourselves, do you think, against Satan, who is always out there looking to tempt us to do something wrong? Right, God's Word. So God's Word 
is knowing this word. That's why it's so important that we know God's word, because God's word will defend us. It is the shield against Satan's fiery darts. And this book, when we know it, will actually keep us from sinning and getting in a lot of trouble. And we'll see in a little bit, he gets in a lot of trouble uh, with this. Um, So down in verse 4, we're going to look at something here in a minute. Uh, And he basically said he prevailed against Joab. So was the king supposed to number the people? No, he was specifically forbidden to do that. Why do you think? Pride, yes. I personally think, this is a gardenerism, if you will, of studying my Bible for a lot of taught years, that pride is involved in any sin you could have. Big sin, little sin, somewhere pride is in there that, hey, we, need, we did this because we, there was some pride. Um, some verses that we know about, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Pride is at the root of so many sins. We have to be careful. Um, years ago, we went, we went, I was invited to the CEO of our company. I'd worked on a couple of really big proposals, and they invited us to uh, uh, this Christmas party they had. I'm like, oh, we don't want to go to a Christmas party. I hate those kind of things. And but because the CEO and, you know, I'm like, okay, because of my job, I better go ahead and go. So Wanda and I went and we, you know, we were kind of like, oh, this is, you know, we're not enjoying this at all, but we will get out of here soon. And so we had just bought our house in Aldi, which was a bigger house. And it was funny. Um, they, oh, you just bought a new house. Where's that? Oh, it's in Aldi. And, and they said, uh, how big's your house? And I'm going, I know what you're going for here. Ah, you, you want me to tell you how big and all that. It's just so big. It's got so many bedrooms. And I said, it's the same size as all the rest of them right in there. And they were like, hmm, that's a funny answer. But I, I wasn't going there. I'm like, hey, it's a house. You know, it's some place to live. And our kids had room to spread out. So that's what the Lord had for us at that time. It was nothing big to be proud of. Um, So, what did Joab try to do? Did Joab try to stop David from doing that? He did. Um, This was an interesting question. So, why do you think Joab went ahead and did what David asked him to do, even though he knew by Scripture, God said, this is wrong, don't do it? Why did he go out and number the people anyway? Okay. He thought that maybe he was going to have it done any other way. And he was obeying. Right. And he was obeying his king. There's, this, there's a biblical, uh, basically, doctrine of, of biblical authority. What is that? Colossians 3.22 says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
Um, does anybody know who was Caesar when Paul wrote those very words that I just read out of Scripture? Anybody? Nero. You heard of Nero? Used to burn Christians on the way. He said with Nero as the basically king of the country, obey those that are over you. That's in God's Word. Why would he say such a thing? Well, obviously, we are not to do things that are illegal or against God's Word. But aside from that, we are supposed to obey those in authority, police officers, school teachers, administrators, wherever. And, you know, we have uh, authority ourselves in maybe in our jobs, our day-to-day lives, moms over their kids, dads, you know, where they work, whatever it is. But we are in submission to authority in one place and also have authority over others. So I have five kind of points to talk about biblical authority for us to think about. How do we address biblical authority ourselves? Um, First, do I have a settled commitment to submit to God's authority as he revealed in his word? First of all, is Jesus truly my Lord? Selective or or partial obedience is what? Disobedience, right? We tell that with our kids. You know, when you're a parent, if your kid kind of obeys, but not really, that's, okay, that's a spanking or or whatever it is. You know, we can't, you can't let your kids disobey. It's funny, we were talking about this at at Thanksgiving uh, uh, with with all the grandkids and, and Josh and Sarah and Nathan and Erica. And uh, how, you know, so many people, parents, let their kids just do whatever. And you can't because if they do whatever when they're three, when they're 16, they're going to really do whatever. And so teaching them obedience to submit to God's Word and authority over us is super important. Um, So first of all, we have to obey everything that we know about. Uh, Second, am I under proper authority in the various God-ordained spheres that I'm in? Do I submit to the government? Let me ask you this. If the speed limit is 55, do you do 55? And I'm kind of pointing the finger back at me. Oh, just this morning, (laughs) I was a little bit late leaving the house, uh, and we live in Lovettsville. Uh, Berlin Turnpike is 55. Route 9, going to Route 7, is 45. So, so many people get on Berlin Turnpike and do 45, and this car was in front of me doing 38 to 40. I'm going, even if you think it's 45, please do 45. So, I'm waiting, waiting, I'm trying to pass, and I'm going, and I finally was able to pass him, but then I looked back, there was another car just kind of stuck behind him. But do I obey the speed limit? <laughs> oh, now you're meddling, Drew. <laughs> um, I have to think about that myself. Do we obey the laws of the land? Or do we just say, oh, that's not an important one. Uh, do I submit to the government? What is my attitude at church, at home, and at work? Am I only, oh, here's a good one, am I only giving outward grudging compliance or am I obedient with a cheerful heart? Do you remember when your kids were little and you say, go do this? And they were like, and they did it. But you know, they were not happy about it because they let you know on their face. They were not happy about it. So 
do we do that when somebody in authority over us says, do this, and we go, ah, you know, you really shouldn't do that. That's a bad idea. Here's why. But they say, no, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going forward. Let's do this. How do you, do you cheerfully in your heart go, okay, now that you've made the decision, I'm going to do the best I can do to make that work, even if I think it's the most dumb idea I've ever heard. That is my responsibility as a Christian, to submit to the authority. And like I say, we're all indifferent. So Brother Brandon, I, as I sing and our group sings and in the music ministries, I am under Brother Brandon's authority in music and as an assistant pastor. Also, I'm the Sunday school superintendent. He's a Sunday school teacher. He is under my authority as far as his Sunday school class. So it goes back and forth, but wherever we're at in that sphere of authority, are we cheerfully in our hearts obeying those in authority over us, or are we grumbling inside? That's a, that's a big deal, and God would have us to cheerfully obey. Third, if I am in a position of authority, do I wrongly use it for selfish advantage, or do I exercise it fearfully and responsibly for God? Anybody in authority in this church as a deacon, as, as one of the pastors, our job is to say, hey, how can we, what can we do as we built the building? There were hundreds of thousands of decisions to make. And let me stop and say here, I am so thankful for our pastor that for as long as we've been here, and I know two years on top of that before we were here, he's been a godly example of how to walk in Christ, to grow, to lead others to Him, and to do what's right. Through, through bad times, and I've been close to pastor, and good times, bad times, through all, I, I think through it all, God is good. This is a song the choir just sang, this worked on today. God is good, and no matter what we've done, pastor, we should be very thankful for a, a godly man like him no, don't let him hear you say that. And Pastor, if you're listening, plug your ears. But you are, he's been a real blessing to us. And we should be thankful for a godly man. Because not all churches have that. They have good pastors, but maybe they're not witnessing. Or maybe they're not growing. Um, so the Lord's been good to us with Pastor. Um, number four. Uh, da, da, da. If I'm in authority, do I lead with an air of superiority or by humbly serving and blessing those I lead? My job as a Sunday school superintendent is to make sure that the little kids to the oldest adult learn something in Sunday school and that they're growing and being built up in Christ. And the, and the teachers, we have curriculum and programs and, and Sunday school things that we do, and so that's what our goal is. Do we pray for the people that we lead? and really seek their best, because that's what a good leader is. And again, I'll go back to pastor being a great example of that. Fifth, if I'm in authority, does my character elicit respect, or does it undermine my leadership? Am I the first one to obey God's Word? Do I obey God's Word in all the little things? And then, uh, oh, that's not too important. Uh, so, we have to obey God's Word in, in authority. So, Biblical authority, big thing. Let's think about joyfully obeying those in authority over us because that's what God would have. All right, let's jump down to verse 6. 
This time's going fast. All right. So about 1.5 million was the total. Uh, Joab did what he tried, he could do. He left out the Levites. He said, okay, by scripture, they, one other time they left out the Levites. Okay, I can do that, which will limit some of the damage. So he did what he can do, even though he obeyed David, which is biblically what he was supposed to do. Um, why do you think God was displeased with David for what he did, for that making that choice? What's that, Sandy? He was relying on man instead of God. Somebody down here say something? He disobeyed. Right. He disobeyed God's word um, and then uh, had to pay the price. So, uh, Ronald Reagan, recalling an occasion when he was governor of California, he made a speech in Mexico City. After I'd finished speaking, I sat down to a rather unenthusiastic applause, and I was a little embarrassed. The speaker who followed me spoke in Spanish, which I didn't understand, um, and he was being applauded about every paragraph. To hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before everyone else and longer than anyone else until our ambassador leaned over and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's interpreting your speech. <laughs> so he kind of had a false pride there, but uh, it's funny. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says this. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So uh, David messed up. He sinned. That basically brings us down to verse 8 to 17. Just going to read a few of these since we're kind of running behind in time. Let's see. Um, and David's, verse 8, First uh, Chronicles 21, 8. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spake unto David seer, uh, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, choose thee. Either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while the sword of thine enemies overtake thee, or else three days in the sword of the Lord. Even the pestilence in the land and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now, therefore, advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And then the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between earth and heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, 
Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on the people that they should be plagued. So um, we see here that we, we make a mistake. No matter where you are in that sphere of authority, either the bottom or obeying or at the top, the higher, and that's why Satan goes after pastors. Did you realize that? If Satan can get a pastor to sin, that whole church will be disrupted, messed up, and God's work through a whole church can be damaged because of one person. And, and if they get the pastor, it can destroy the whole church. So again, very thankful for our pastor being a godly man. Um, does anybody know how a worm gets in an apple? Anybody? So I'll tell you in a second. Um, what is worse than finding a worm in an apple? A half a worm, that's right, exactly. So a worm doesn't just get in the apple. The, the, um, uh, a seed is laid in, in, the, in the tree and the, uh, before the apple even grows. And the actual seed of what's put in there grows with the apple so the, the, the seed, and then when the worm hatches, comes out, it actually was in the middle of the apple from the very beginning as it grew. And do you know, sin to us is like that worm. It doesn't just come in from the outside. It actually comes in inside of us. And Satan, like I said before, knows each of us better than we know ourselves. And he'll tempt us with what he knows, not where we're strong, but where? Where we're weak, right? So we have to go and assess ourselves. Lord, show me where I am weak as a Christian so that I can put shields up there. You know, when the boys were little, our, our guy thing was we used to go out and play paintball. And that was so much fun. We'd get on our camo, we'd go out in the woods, and we'd get our, you know, and we all got these Tipman paintball guns and put semi-reactive triggers and all these f cool things and we're running through the woods shooting each other and we got to be really good it was so much fun and then we'd go home and hey hey look at this one where I got shot right here it's a big red we'd show who had the biggest red mark we had a great time but you know we would go in places where we built little forts and when somebody would come in to try to attack the fort, they wouldn't look for where that big strong wall was. They'd try to come in the back where there wasn't, where you weren't looking. And Satan does the very same thing. He tries to attack you where you're not looking, where you're not paying attention in your spiritual life. And that is where we get attacked uh, with sin. So um, I'm going to jump into a really quick section about looking at sin and how to, when we are tempted. How do we run away? How do we, how do we get rid of that temptation? And how do we correctly handle that temptation according to Scripture? So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Let me put my mark here. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Genesis chapter 3. 
verses 1 to 6. And if you have a Schofield Bible, it's on page 8. Um, so chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, And when the woman, number one, saw that the tree was good for food, and that, number two, it was pleasant to the eyes, and number three, and to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So this first sin that really condemned our race to, to having to have Jesus come and die on the cross to save us from our sins um, changed the whole course of history. And you know what's funny? 6,000 or whatever years later, we are attacked the exact same way. And we have to think about this. So she saw it, she longed for it, thought about it, and did it. So we sin the exact same way. Satan knows your weaknesses. Um, about a month ago, our Jeep, we have a Jeep Grand, Ch- Grand Cherokee, it was our family car. It was knocking and making some things, and we took it into the, the Dodge place in Leesburg, and they basically worked on it and said, oh yeah, it was a valve, and then they fixed it. So I went to pick it up, and they were said, okay, here, we're get, we'll get the keys, we'll come pay, you know, come pick it up in, in a few minutes. So I'm like, hey, I'm here, let me just walk into the showroom. So I kind of stroll into the showroom, and of course, um, those of you know me, I like cars. I have a Dodge Challenger, 500 horsepower, it's a fun car, but but it's eight years old. And every 10 years, I usually get a new one. And to boot, Chrysler, as of September 2023, are not making V8 engines anymore. I have a big V8 engine, and it's the last of the V8s. So I walk in, what do I see? A plum crazy purple Charger Super B, drag radials. It had the Super B emblem on the hood. I'm like, whoa, look at that. I'm going, man, look, look at that car. That's beautiful. And I'm going, oh, man, I usually upgrade every 10 years. I wonder if I could do it two years early. Hmm. And I'm starting to think about it, right? And what I should have done is run right, right then, right? So I start thinking about it. I know I'm kind of tempted with stuff like that. And I'm going, hmm. Well, uh, let me look around some more. And the guy came over. Oh, we can put you right in that car. I bet you could. <laughs> but I have a car payment. I don't have one of those right now. And so he was saying all these things. And, and, and he said, oh, I said, you know, but I really like B5 Blue. That's my favorite color. Oh, look over here. They had a B5 Blue version of that same car on the other side of the showroom. I'm going, oh, 
So I look at the sticker. It was only $70,000. Yeah. And I'm going, oh. And he said, oh, you could take it home and, and try it out. I'm going, oh, if I take that home, you'll have to get it back in my estate because my wife's going to kill me. No, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. No, she wouldn't do that. But I'm just kidding, of course. But, uh, you know, I had to, I actually think, I said, hmm, wonder what my car is worth. If I trade it in, I could figure out the car payment. I said, okay, let me think of it. So I looked on the Internet. My car is worth about $15,000 now because it's got 112,000 miles on <laughs> it. Oh, that's only an $800 car payment. Nope, can't do that. So I started thinking, even though that's the last of the V8s, all these things, I said, you know, for us, the Lord would not be happy with me making the decision to buy a new car, even though I loved it, it was cool, and all these things. And so I had to stop and go, what would the Lord do in this? And if you do that, every time you're tempted, and if you're tempted with something, instead of thinking it through, I probably thought it through a little too far. And of course, that big a thing, I wasn't going to do anything without talking to Wanda about it anyway. But, um, you know, you have to make those decisions based on God's Word, not on just what you'd like to do or what you think is right. And if you stop and right there, and what she didn't do, what Eve did not do, she saw it, she thought about it, and then the longer you think about something, what did Joseph do when he was tempted? He ran. He, he said, I am out of here. He didn't like, I'm not going to, I'm going to think about it. Boom. He had already made his decision. He was gone. So every time we're tempted with something in our lives that, and, and Satan knows how to tempt us, we need to go, what would God's word say about this subject that I'm temp- being tempted and learn verses about it. And when we're tempted, say, no, God's word says this. And when we repeat back God's Word, it's us running from that temptation. And if you don't sin, you don't have to pay the price, which is the next thing that happened. So we know that 70,000 people died because David made this decision. Um, So every time we make a sin, you know, every time you sin and you make that wrong decision, what's the very next thing that happens? What, what in your heart do you ever go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I am so sorry. I should not have done that. That's what David did. But do you know, sin has consequences. Years ago, my Uncle Orville and Aunt Nina were like my grandparents. Most of my grandparents had died before I was even born. So we used to go, Aunt Nina and Uncle Orville's in Leesburg, and we'd go to Roy Rogers and have breakfast. And Back then, the bowling alley in Leesburg had a good breakfast, so we'd go there and have breakfast and all these things. So Uncle Orville smoked all his life, had two heart attacks, lived through them, but he got emphysema from smoking cigarettes his whole life. And he was in the hospital, Loudon Memorial, the old one back then, and he was probably not going to last another few days. So I said, hey, I'm going to go up and spend the, the night with Uncle Orville before he goes home to see the Lord, and I'll spend the evening with him. So he's on oxygen, got oxygen in his nose, oxygen tanks. And I look over, and Uncle Orville pulls out a cigarette, grabs a lighter. I'm going, oh, no, no, Uncle Orville, you're going to blow us off. 
I, I'm not ready to die at this particular time yet. You know, I don't think the, I think the Lord has more for me to do. <laughs> and so, anyway, he didn't like the cigarette, but, you know, he didn't realize that, and, and he died about a week later. And they said at the very end, his lung was about this big. And he basically couldn't breathe, and he, he passed away and went home to be with the Lord. But his doing cigarettes had ruined his lungs to where his lungs could not keep him alive. And no matter when we sin, if we sin, we can be very sorry. And does God forgive us when we sin? Yes, he does. What's the verse? Anybody? Huh? First John 1, 9. That's correct. That he'll forgive us. So, God will forgive us, but there are still consequences from sin. I remember distinctly as a kid, me and my brother, uh, Greg, he's a year and 12 days younger. We lived in, in Ashburn on Route 659, Belmont Ridge Road, close right next to where those two big blue water towers are right now. We lived about a quarter mile this way, and our closest neighbor was half a mile that way, and our church was a mile that way, and our other neighbor was close half a mile that way. It's hard to believe, but, you know, back then it was farmers and, you know, all that stuff. So, for some reason, and, and Wanda, Wanda's dad was a, a lieutenant at Fairfax County Fire Department, so, but but we liked playing with matches when we were kids. I don't know why. It was a dumb thing. We were in the field. My Aunt Goldie, who lived with us, was watching us. Mom and Dad had went somewhere. And me and my brother were in the field, like, burning ants and stuff with matches. And we thought we were... We looked up, and Aunt Goldie's standing there looking at us going, Oh, no. Oh, this is not so fun anymore. Because <laughs> we know as soon as Dad gets home, we're both going to get the belt. <laughs> And uh, we, we did, we got our whoopings. And I'm like, at that point, I was like, okay, you don't even need to do it, Dad. I'm not doing that again. And so I knew in my heart, but I still got the spanking. Thank the Lord for godly parents who are both in, in heaven now that trained me and my brother to do what's right and to serve the Lord and to not just be saved, but do what God's will is for our lives and I think we've tried to do that, Wanda, and I've tried to do that with our family and our kids and grandkids now. But when we sin, uh, there are consequences. And in this case, 70,000 people died because why? Did Israel sin? Did anybody in Israel sin? Only David, right? But because he was king, and do you know if... I went out and did something horrible, and, and I would, hey, I'm a deacon at this church. I'm a Sunday school teacher. If I went out and did something horrible, that would affect this church. Oh, did you hear about what Drew Gardner did at Temple? Duh. And, and, you know, we are family, and God sees us. He sees us individually, but He also sees us collectively as Temple Baptist Church. And if you're a member of this family here of Christians— God sees us as one thing. So if any one of us mess up, we do something wrong, and we are not repentant about it, it affects everybody else. So we should always repent of our sin as soon as we do it and we know it, which David did, but that did not affect the results. Um, we influence others. And I remember back 
little country church, Mount Hope Baptist Church over on Belmont Ridge Road next to the Goose Creek Reservoir. That's where I grew up. Got saved when I was six years old. We got married there a long time ago. (laughs) And uh, that has been a real special place to me. But, you know, even there, um, we basically have to understand that at a church, when you sin, you affect other people. Um, So, uh, one of what I was actually going to say was, our youth teacher, Rich Brito, when I was in the youth group, way back, yes, I was in the youth group at one time. Uh, We only had seven or eight people, little country church of 80 people, right, built in Civil War times. Um, And actually, I went out there not too long ago. There was this big rock we used to play on. That, and we were like, why has the rock got like step rocks up to it? And it was a big rock kind of all the time. They said, that's where the buggies and the carriages, they drove the carriage up and they would step up the rocks and get to the top one and get in their buggy. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. So, uh, but we were right down from Pillet's, Tillett's Pig Farm. So on Wednesday nights when the, you know, the doors, windows were open because we didn't have an air condition and the wind was blowing the wrong way, it didn't smell real good, but it was a good church to grow up in. So, he said to us as youth, you have influence, whether you like it or not. It could be good influence on others or bad influence, but we all have influence, and we can't stop our influence from happening. We cannot. It just happens all the time. So, how you react to certain situations, if somebody's angry and starts yelling at you, what do you do? You yell back. You say, hey, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm going to pray for you. Do we pray for people that that hate us? Oh, that's a hard thing. But that's what God's Word says to do. So we need to do that. So we need to influence others uh, correctly and not against sin. And the last part, mercy. So God saw what was happening, obviously. David repented. The elders of Israel repented in sackcloth and ashes, and he said, okay, we're going to stop. So, he didn't even do the three days. God had mercy. So, last verse, uh, 18, then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that they should go up, set up an altar to the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan and Jebusite. David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Ornan turned back, saw the angel and his four sons with him, hid themselves. Now, Ornan was threshing wheat. Jump down to verse 26. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in threshing floor Ornan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burning burnt offering were at that season in the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go, up, go before it to inquire of the Lord, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. And, you know, that should be our attitude towards sin. You know, I think today we think of sin like a cold. Oh, I got a few sniffles. I'll take a couple of aspirin. It'll be all right. We should think of sin like cancer. You know, my wife is a cancer survivor. And when we heard that word cancer, I distinctly remember crying on the couch, saying we're going to get through this. The Lord has this. And today, she is still living and 
through can- have, having had cancer. We should see sin like cancer. <gasps> no, I can't. I don't want that. I, can't, I can only get close to cancer. Um, so, uh, you know, in COVID, you remember all the COVID times and people with the mask and all this. Did you ever want to go up if somebody like was sneezing and coughing during COVID? Would you ever want to go up and shake their hand? <laughs> no, no, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. And that's because we thought they might have something that we'd get COVID. And that first COVID, you could die from. And so it was serious. We need to treat sin like cancer and run from it. So in conclusion, when we're tempted, listen to the wise counsel of our godly friends. If if David had listened to Joab at the very beginning, 70,000 people would not have had to die who didn't do anything. And think of that. They were families that lost, (coughs) excuse me. Families that lost fathers, brothers, family members because of something that the king did. We need to keep away from sin at all costs because our sin affects others. Think of sin like cancer. If we sin and are unrepentant, and, and then if we do sin, we need to truly repent. And that, that Greek word repent means 180 degrees. I'm going this way. I'm going, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. I'm going this way, exactly opposite, not to the side, not a little less. I won't do that as much, Lord. I'm sorry. I am truly sorry and repentant. I will go the other way, and I will run from that sin. If we do that, um, the Lord will bless us. Pray for mercy for others when they sin. What did Jesus do on the cross when they were spitting on him they were reviling him, and he is the creator of all things and knew he could give anybody say, you have a heart attack, and they would die. What did Jesus do on the cross? Forgive. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So you know what I like to do? If I, I'm out in the world and I hear somebody curse, Lord, forgive them for that. Lord, make it so that somehow they will hear you, about you and come to know you as Savior and Lord. And when, when we ask for forgiveness for other people, that really helps us. Let's think about others and not necessarily all the things that are going on in our lives. So pray for mercies for others when they sin. And when we give, give unto the Lord. That one spot, I'll close with this thought. Does anybody, the, the threshing floor of Ornan, does anybody know kind of what happened there? So it was probably uh, where Solomon's temple was, that, that general vicinity. It was, also pro- it was obviously where they, they gave, um, and, and Ornan was going to give David the, uh, the part we kind of went over. He's going to give David the land. He said, no, I will not give anything that I don't pay for. So it means a lot when we pay for things ourselves. But he gave him, he, he bought the land. He said, David, I, Lord, I am so sorry. Here's the sacrifice. God forgave him, stopped the punishment, had mercy. But then Christ was probably crucified in that general vicinity. So that one place in the land of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, is where the temple was, where God, you know, God stopped the angel destroying Israel, and then where God 
Jesus, through Jesus Christ, took away our sins so we could know him as Savior and Lord and be with him in heaven one day. And isn't that something to look forward to in these dark times? We have a Savior who loves us, and if we run away from sin and flee from sin and not even get to where David did, he'll bless us and our families and our kids and our grandkids, and he will make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you today for this word from your, your holy word. And thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving of us of our sins, Lord, we don't even deserve. And Lord, thank you for ultimately our home in heaven where we can see you one day and be with you and our loved ones. We thank you again. In your precious name we pray.